today on Geekdom Powers. I'm really passionate and um, emotive about the stories that I love. And sometimes it's hard to find people in quote unquote real life that get sort of as excited, right? They'll be like, oh yeah, that was a great show. And I'm like, but you don't want to talk about it for three hours? I want to talk about it for three hours. Um, and Beep was always willing to talk about it for three hours. And even if we don't, um, even if we have finished our podcast, other things that we're watching, um, it's often not a quote unquote casual watch. Climb the steps, ring the bell. You are listening to Gig the Mean Pals, 12 Monkeys Edition. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geek Them Empowers. Geek Them Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their story, Geek Them Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Our guests today are the women known as Cece and Beep. They are the hosts of the podcast World of the Witnesses, a podcast which analyzes every aspect, episode by episode, of the 12 Monkeys TV show. And they also achieved amazing in-depth interviews with so many people on the actual team, from editor to showrunner to the music person to the stunts, everything. Today I'll talk to them a lot about TV genre shows. We'll geek out over 12 Monkeys and other shows. By the way, I think, like them, I think 12 Monkeys is the, one of the absolute best science fiction shows ever. So we'll talk about how they met and how they created the podcast and how Terry Matalas, the show's showrunner, ended up giving them interviews with a team who walked on it. And we're going to cover so many things. We're also going to talk about the lack of the fangirl point of view in the overall geek experience as it comes out on the web. Listen to this episode, you'll enjoy it. Just one word of warning before we start. This is how I chose to deal with spoilers. There aren't a lot of spoilers in this episode. It's a long episode, and there are only six parts in this episode that, you know, if you haven't seen the show, you do not want to listen to them in any way. I'm completely serious. So it's not like little spoilers. It's, it's, it's things that, as you'll see, will make you squeak when you see them in real time. So, you know, save your squeaks. <laughs> So before any of those parts appear, I'm going to cut in and say spoiler alert, spoiler alert in my Dalek voice. And then I'm going to give you a time which you'll have to skip like 15 seconds, one minute. And then you really, 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 really should either skip ahead for that period of time or mute for that period of time or take your earphones out of your ears and then put them back. Okay, just six of them. Now, this is not a show about 12 Monkeys. It is almost entirely an episode about being geeks and geeking out. So if you've never seen the show, you will enjoy this episode a lot. And if you've seen this show, you will enjoy this episode a lot. So let's begin. Thank you so much for coming. Um, 
can we, what we do in this podcast is we, we, we go through people's origin stories. So can you talk, each talk a little bit about how you liked, if you like science fiction, fantasy, and how you got it then into 12 Monkeys? You want to go? You can go first. Uh, okay. So science fiction has just been an, I don't know, as long as I can remember sort of thing. I love those stories because I feel like what they do is put really normal human experience into outlandish situations. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It just gives them an opportunity to express like the craziest um, things around universal concepts. Uh, as far as 12 Monkeys, it literally just popped up on Hulu one day in between uh, the second and third seasons. And I watched through and, you know, then was able to watch like right after the third season came out. And obviously then when you see even like I loved it, don't get me wrong. But when you see the fourth season, it all comes together in such a way mm -hmm. where it just elevates the entire series. And you're like, well, that was something special. Yeah, so, but, let, but let's go earlier than that. What kind of shows did you like beforehand? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, Buffy is a huge one, like way back. Um, I'm trying to think of like all the stuff that I used to watch. TV has been so disappointing over the past few years. Um, In your childhood. I mean. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I was like not prepared for this at all. Do you want me to go while you're thinking? Yes, please. Okay. Um, looking, I, I'm Gen X, so I grew up um, in the thick of going to see the original Star Wars movies in the theater. My mom had loved Star Trek when it originally aired, so I would watch those reruns with her. Um, and, you know, I loved, like, the original Superman um I think like 1978. So I just grew up watching superhero stories. Um, one of the, I loved like the never ending story and the anime movie, The Last Unicorn. So just always drawn to science fiction and fantasy. Although looking back on it, definitely more in television and film. Um, I, I, I feel like as sort of a sci-fi and fantasy fangirl, I, I didn't find other women who loved science fiction and fantasy like I did until I was an adult and actually like in my late 30s ended up on social media um, just because, I don't know, it was kind of hard to find other girls, at least growing up in the 80s and early 90s um, that loved it as much as I did. Um, but those were sort of always the stories that I was drawn the most to. Um, and I think... I think for the same reason that I love also like historical dramas and historical fiction, because I like going to another world um, and finding, even if you are in another world, things that are universal to the human experience, even if you are in, you know, the 1700s or another planet. Wait, are you saying you, you grew up in the 80s? I did, yeah. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed that. Okay, me too. I grew up in the 80s. Beep, do you have, uh, you come up with something else? I saw the Star Wars when I was young, so that held my yeah. cred for that. Um, but even more recently, I mean, I love shows like The Expanse. I always try to say that I'm like not into space shows, and yet somehow I always end up watching them. <laughs> um, 
I we really loved the hundred for a while. I won't get into to that. But anything basically like Cece said that just kind of takes place in a world other than our own because our own is like depressing enough. So it's kind of cool to just see um, other experiences lived out in fantastical places. So Cece, how did you see 12 Monkeys? How were you introduced to that? So I um, met some other women at and became friends with them just sort of like, you know, online talking about the hundred and the expanse and they recommended it was sort of at least at that point sort of the heyday of the sci-fi network um and so they recommended 12 monkeys and they had watched season one and season two um so they were like you have to watch this show and so i binged those two seasons together and you know hit the end of season two with that phenomenal reveal and cliffhanger and i was just hooked um and then i watched season three and season four as they aired did did any of you did uh, see the movie before you saw the series uh, or did you i watched the movie right before the series finale yeah. i was just like so spun up that afternoon and was like oh my gosh it's coming on it's coming on and i ended up watching the movie right before that um i did not no i did not see the movie um i did not have a car in college and so i missed out on a lot of um 12 monkeys or the matrix um not a lot of my friends not not a lot of my friends want to go see those movies and i kind of needed a ride and then i don't know i guess i just ended up studying in grad school too hard so i have a whole um Shockingly, I've, I've since watched the film after I watched the television show, but I kind of had a, a sad hole in my 90s um, mm -hmm. sci-fi viewing <laughs> for lack of transportation. Okay. Oh, the first Matrix was amazing. And for some reason, I'm kind of looking forward to the new one. And I don't well, really know why, because it lost me somewhere in the middle. Well, I think, I think the main problem was that they wrote the thing. So uh, two or three were really bad, but it could be they learned the lesson. And they're doing something completely different for four. Maybe they hired another writer, so like they did for Sense8. Mm. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're amazing directors. And mm -hmm. They just shouldn't write. Um, <laughs> that is so terribly true of so many people lately. Um, oh, Cece just mentioned, though, and it makes me think of like, gosh, the sci-fi heyday of like those couple years where the Expanse, Winona Earp, The Magicians, like 12 Monkeys, all of that stuff was on. And most of them took just a yikes turn. Um, well, and but then sci-fi is like huge and canceling everything anyway. So it was a really creative, I mean, I know, but uh, Battlestar, between Battlestar Galactica and 12 Monkeys and The Expanse, I mean, there was a point when I was watching more shows in that early that 2000 what 2015 2016 range and I was watching more shows on the sci-fi network than like HBO here in the U.S. so it was a really creative heyday I kind of miss that I don't know I feel like they just had like a great laboratory for kind of original sci-fi stories and I feel like at least right now in the U.S. it's a lot of existing IP over and over and over again um but so I, uh, 
Well, I feel on the one hand, you know, if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s and the uh, noughts, uh, you know, we were searching for, for anything, science fiction and fantasy. We would watch anything. If it was bad, if it was good, you know, kept hoping it would be good. But uh, it, it, most of it was really, really terrible. And then there was an explosion in the early previous decade, in the 2010s. And you had to choose which ones not to see just because there wasn't time enough to see everything. But and it's true that most shows take a really bad turn in, in writing. 12 Monkeys is, is the opposite of that. But, uh, um, but I also feel a strange revolution uh, coming over because I think it's the Marvel movies and uh, all kinds of shows like 12 Monkeys and The Expanse that really change the face of, you know, you are allowed to storytell well a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. And people, you know, endings was a bad thing a long time ago. Lost had to, they had to, in Babylon 5, he had to say, no, we have to cut it at five years. In Lost, they had to, they were so popular, and they said we have to end the show in like two years or something, I don't remember when. And while that debate was going on, they couldn't get the characters out of prison because they couldn't know where, where they would go. Um, and shows have to end. Good story. You know, fun yeah. fact about Lost. Yeah. <laughs> a year or so ago, I actually read their original pitch for that show, got a hold of it and read it. And I got to be honest, I never would have watched it at all because right in the middle of that pitch, they indicated they were never going to tell where that polar bear came from. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that made me so angry that you're just like willing to introduce these things and completely, you know, disregard their origin. So I never, ever would have watched that show just based on that had I read that. I'll tell you what, that was, that was the main reason for me that I stopped watching after season one because it was clear to me that they didn't know. Hmm. Uh, but if you read the process that they went on, it, the pitch for the show had J.J. Abrams in it. And J.J. Abrams believes in not revealing everything and keeping boxes, you know, closed boxes secret, uh, which is what he did on uh, the Jennifer Garner show. Alias. Um, Alias. Alias, yes. And, but Damien, even though he didn't know his process then, he became, he was the showrunner, and he developed his process, which is basically the thing he likes. If you read, oh, oh God, I forget his name. Uh, the guy who wrote uh, um, Millman, the guy who show and Millman. By the way, if you haven't seen that, you should see it's a great show. I had one season, sadly. Uh, he was part of the he was part of the crew that, that basically invented all the backstories and they had to create the show before writing it and then they started writing it and he left after season one. Uh, and you can see that Damien had a process. Basically he said, I like this, I don't like this and he didn't know why. You know, the hatch and they go into the hatch and then there's this person going like this. He liked it as opposed to the other things because he felt in the end they could probably solve that. And if you see what he did in future things, like uh, um, ah, the leftovers, the not, leftovers, not the left, the leftovers was, was also amazing. No, no, his recent one, Watchmen. Hmm? Watchmen. Watchmen. Yes, 
you can see his process doing the same thing again. I would like, I like this, I don't like this. It's a very special, uh, unique type of storytelling. Anyway, and I think, I think the big breakthrough in, in there's a lot of shows because uh, Lord of the Rings came around. It was mm. so popular and it was so full of effects that people thought they could mimic that. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, just having grown up with like the the original um, Superman and, mm -hmm. you know, watching, you know, as you were saying, like we had sort of, you know, sci-fi shows or fantasy shows like Highlander or, you know, Star Trek Next Generation, at least in the U.S., you know, they weren't airing on like major networks and maybe sort of the production values weren't quite what TV looked like, at least on, on network TV. Um, but I mean, I remember going to see, and this will, this will definitely make me sound Gen X, but the, um, the first and second Spider-Man, you know, in the theater and just being thrilled that superhero stories could look like that um and and be just as much about character and character journeys um as you know catching the bad guys um and so for me i remember that being sort of like in my 20s alongside with lord of the rings um wow these stories can look amazing um, they can be huge temple events they can be as much about character as plot um, and so I, I, I remember those Spider-Man movies. I know we have long since moved on <laughs> to different Spider-Men. Um, but I, I remember that as also kind of a pivotal pop culture moment, at least for me. Loved those Spider-Men, though. The Tobey yeah. Maguire ones. Loved them. Yeah, love them. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's funny because I feel like even since we have gone, um, as we discussed 12 Monkeys on the podcast, 12 Monkeys came along at least for me personally, after 20 years of watching these puzzle box shows like Alias, like Lost, um, where regardless of what the intent of the writer was all along, at least as the audience, you felt like there were these clues and they were leading somewhere and you spent all this time trying to figure out um, where the story was going. 12 Monkeys for me is this perfect blend of answering all those questions and not forgetting why you care, um, which is about the characters. And I kind of, I feel like now I've had that. Um, it's almost for me the perfect sci-fi show. It answered my questions. It remembered why I cared. And I, I feel like I've gone on a little bit of a drought <laughs> with some of the sci-fi stories that are currently airing. And, and to me, it's also just because they've, They've gotten a little, they're either a little too cerebral um, and not as steeped in character or just kind of sometimes remembering entertainment can have fun. Um, or um, I've, I've let go a little bit needing all the answers and, and, and just wanting to go on an emotional journey with the characters. And I've kind of had to go to media from other countries to, to get that right now. Um, I don't know. Some of the things I've been watching in the U.S. just, I don't know, they haven't been clicking on like an emotional character way lately, but maybe it's just but me. This is the end, but it's not the end, but it's a question for the end, but I'll ask it now. What, what are you watching now? What are you finding uh, 
good now. Both of you. That's beep. Do you want to go? Uh, I'm I'm in the middle of Squid Game, um, which is just a lot. I, I'm I'm a binger kind of by nature, but there's just been you know enough actual emotional things going on in my own life that I have to kind of step back from it. Uh, but it, I mean, it's amazing. I Cece's been sending me a lot of things because I'm actually going to be writing about it um, about the cultural differences and how you know if you strictly speak English and live in the United States and don't understand either the language or the culture of of South Korea, how many things you'll miss in it. And that's been actually really cool, having a reason almost to go down rabbit holes again and research things and figure out you know why it's even more meaningful than you would think. Like it went to number one in the US for a great amount of time, but there's so many things as like surface viewers that we're missing. And I, I love having a reason to dive into things and figure out not only what the media was, but the context around it. And it just, I haven't wanted that in a while. Um, I just watched you season three, which has nothing to do with sci-fi, obviously, but I like psychological thrillers a lot and really bad characters for some reason. Um, I'm really looking forward to The Wheel of Time coming out yeah. in November, and I'm actually going to be writing about that as well. So I feel like, yes, like it's an existing IP, but it hasn't been developed before because I'll tell you what I'm not looking forward to is like three prequels to Game of Thrones and another HBO series rehashing Harry Potter. Like I just, and it's not anything against the, okay, well it's against Game of Thrones, but it's not anything against, you know, like the Harry Potter movies. That was a really cool world and whatever, but like we've done it. It's not like they're taking something, you know, from the seventies or eighties and like giving it this amazing makeover. It's like the last movie was just a few years ago and we're literally going to what start over and do it all again. It's wild to me. Mm. Um, and I know the pandemic has actually caused even more of that, of Hollywood like really backing off taking risk and taking chances. And they're just wanting to scrap up existing IP, knowing that they'll have you know that built-in audience. And while I understand that from a financial standpoint, it's really, really disappointing for you know people who actually crave new stories and new, and new uh, point of views. I think it's so funny because I get so every time I read about a new show and it's, you know, a remake of this or sequel to that, I remember that my favorite television show of all time is 12 Monkeys, um, which is an adaptation of a film. Um, but but, you know, it was originally, you know, it was an original idea that was then sort of grafted on to existing IP. And then they obviously went in, in their own very original um direction with the mythology um i've also i mean i've been watching all the marvel shows with my family but um and i've enjoyed them um but i've also been i mean i think i'm at the point now other than watching ted lasso and succession my household is watching about 80 percent k drama as well um and i've really I, I love a lot of the different genres and it's actually um when it comes to like psychological thrillers or like serial killer stories kind of reignited my interest in them. Whereas I've long since stopped watching them in the U S because they just were so focused on violence um, and kind of the misery of crime stories. But some of the most original sci-fi stories I have watched 
lately in the last year have been Korean. Um, Memories of the Alhambra, which is a um, show about an augmented reality game that sort of takes on real life stakes. Sisyphus the Myth, which was a post-apocalyptic time travel show that had a lot of really great homages to 12 Monkeys. Um, I'm watching Jurasan right now, which is from the director of Goblin, which was a great urban fantasy show. Um, and it's written by the wonderful writer of Kingdom, which was a great historical zombie show on Netflix. Um, that's really, that's where I've been finding sort of the original sci-fi slash fantasy stories that I've been craving um, has been mostly coming from South Korea on on Netflix or, or other platforms. And I've been so jilted that the only show I'm keeping up right, with right now is Bob's Burgers. <laughs> and oh, Succession. Actually, I am watching Succession. I, I'm trying to... I have Succession on my list for years now, and I haven't seen the first episode. Uh, wait, so how did you do uh, Meet? How did you do... Um, we, I'm building up to the podcast now. Okay, we started talking about the hundred on Twitter, um, and then and kind of fell into a, a, I don't know, sort of those those echo chambers or those you know however the algorithm drives you um, to a lot of uh, of women who just love talking about sci-fi stories and love talking about sort of the political allegory as much as sort of character journeys. And then we met at a con um, in Vancouver about the hundred. Um, and then we were, I don't know, probably at the person I knew that was also as obsessed with 12 Monkeys as I was. So we ended up talking to somebody who was a reviewer of 12 Monkeys and we were like, um, you should do a podcast about it. And she was like, no, maybe you guys should. Um, <laughs> and then we just sort of talked in our DMs and, you know, we'd only met once for maybe 15 minutes in passing at a con and then ended up doing a podcast for almost two years together. That's, did you know you have chemistry that you can walk together, that this will work, just the two of you doing it together? No. No, I mean, I think it just came from you know, it stemmed from our conversations because I think in in a lot of ways we have not necessarily where we disagree, but we just have differing points of views, you know, because of our life experience or there'll be different things that we grab onto. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I always loved about having conversations with Cece is like she enlightened that for me or gave me kind of like, huh, you know, pause. And the I would say that the chemistry we did already know that we have was that we could disagree and that mm -hmm. was fine. And we could have those conversations like in a you know grown-up manner and not be online screaming at people acting like crazy stuff because i feel like in a lot of cases when you're dealing on podcasts you'll hear and it's like just an i agree i agree i agree and i feel like we bring different perspectives to the table and that worked out really cool able to draw from and we knew that they were the same way they all came from you know kind of different life experiences and we would pick them kind of based on what we knew about their past or what we knew about how, you know, how they function in day-to-day -day life, we'd kind of assign people to episodes like based on that. Yeah. And I think the one thing that we had in common is um, even if we have very different life experiences, I, I'm really passionate <laughs> and um, 
uh, emotive about the stories that I love. And sometimes it's hard to find people in quote unquote real life that get sort of as excited, right? They'll be like, oh yeah, that was a great show. And I'm like, but you don't want to talk about it for three hours? I want to talk about it for three hours. Um, And Beep was always willing to talk about it for three hours. And even if we don't, um, even if we have finished our podcast, other things that we're watching, um, it's often not a quote unquote casual watch. (laughs) We want to flail about them and talk about how they made us feel or what they made us think about. And I wanted I think we both wanted to bring that kind of fan, unapologetic fangirl enthusiasm to a podcast about sci-fi. Um, because often, at least I found when I when I first went online and started listening to podcasts, um, sci-fi discussions about sci-fi could be um, very cerebral, and and I enjoy a, a very intellectual conversation. But it often was conversations among men, um, and I, as a female fan, as somebody that loves um, aliens and spaceships as much as I do watching two characters fall in love, I couldn't find a discussion out there about these kinds of stories that really passionately discussed all of that. Um, and so I think. We went in with the very decidedly um, determined mission in our podcast to have a discussion that was all women talking about science fiction. And our discussions would range everything between the tension between fate and free will to whether we were flailing about whether two characters were going to kiss and that there was no... One is not better than the other. Um, All of those things are part of the story. Whether you're a fan that enjoys the intricacies of how time travel works and it's a loop or it's a multiverse, or whether you're um, a fan that was really invested in whether Cassie and Cole were going to make out. All of those are valid reasons to be excited and they're all part of the story. Um, And so I think we really tried to balance that with our guests and our discussion um, about all of the different reasons that we were excited about about the story. Yeah, like Jennifer was a great um, conduit for mental illness discussions, um, you know, but we would also speculate over her relationship with Deacon. <laughs> so it was just, we, we like the whole spectrum and I feel like oftentimes you only get one or the other so mm-hmm. we were cool with doing intelligent and also having sections where somebody might literally squeal. <laughs> yeah, and that's rare, right? So as a science fiction fan, if I go on Reddit, um, it, there is definitely a slant against the things that maybe, um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't like to generalize, but when I'm talking with my fellow fangirls. We're just ex- excited about the latest plot twist as we are about a character journey or a character relationship. Um, and I just wanted to talk about science fiction the way I would in a book club um, um, or an English class. And, you know, I, I hope that's that was sort of what we what we set out to do. Hopefully we achieved some of that um, in the hundreds of hours that we ended <laughs> up talking about 12 Monkeys. I remember hitting the point where we spoke to Terry and we were just like, you realize we have more content than you do now, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think we did surpass the running time of the show, which is... Yeah, extensively. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's, uh, I think, that made you squeal? 
Um, about 12 Monkeys specifically? Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I love the plot twists, you know, the mother, mother moments, of course. Um, it reminded me of sort of those J.J. Abram, Damon Lindehoff mic drop moments from Alias and Lost. But the reason, the, the, the things that would make me throw my pillow or immediately have to pick up the phone and scream about it with a friend were the emotional payoffs um was and we can talk we can talk spoilers right um okay so the emotional spoiler spoiler alert spoiler alert 45 seconds now if you haven't seen 12 monkeys skip ahead 45 seconds starting now the emotional payoffs of hannah is alive um the emotional payoff of Cassie and Cole finally admitting that they love each other, the emotional payoff of Cole finding out who his mother is and his mother sacrificing for him. All of it's about character at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Um, And those themes of of family and what people mean to one another, um, Deacon choosing to sacrifice his life for his friends, the things that made me squeal, cry, all came back to character and emotion, which I think 12 Monkeys is really rare um, in that it it remained consistently focused on character in a way that even some other sci-fi shows that I love that are, that are still airing, um, their world building is wonderful and their plot is all coming together, but then they kind of lose the thread of why you care. And 12 Monkeys never forgot that. Yeah, they, they established who their characters were and then they allowed their characters to fun in the plot instead of forcing things because they wanted something to happen. Where you're looking and going, Cole wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense, you know, but just because they wanted to do something super cool or have an explosion. Like, don't get me wrong, they did super cool things and had explosions, but the people involved made sense and their motivations made sense and you could relate to them, um, you know, even if they were completely different than you. I feel like some in some way the characters were so universal that you could find traits in each of them that you could relate to spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert this time for 30 seconds if you haven't seen 12 monkeys jump ahead 30 seconds starting now and i know like found family is such a kryptonite um and then for it to go through and it's like these people were were first of all forced to or, you know, rely on each other and then came to trust in each other. And then it kind of turned out it was really family. And so the whole thing was super woven together, which was amazing. Um, I had a huge connection to Jennifer and I just loved any time that she kind of added on another layer of being an individual, you know, like notes, like I found my purpose. I mean, I will literally cry right now um, over that. And the callbacks they did were incredible. Like when you get to 409, my favorite callback of the whole show is, you know, um, give me yellow, I can paint you the world. And they literally called back from episode 102 all the way to the penultimate episode of the show. And it's just like, I so appreciated, appreciate, wow. I so appreciated that they never forgot either where they came from or where they were going. It was so the plot that I could always, you know, um, applaud was just, it was so tight. And to be able to do that with like 50 plates spinning in the air Mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's truly a feat. And I think that 
they were thankful, but then, you know, after finding out later, we will always be thankful that they they knew when the end was coming, they got renewed for three and four, they knew that was it. And they also were able to write it all together. And I think yeah. like there was, as hard as it was to say goodbye to the show, I think that it benefited exactly like the opposite of what you said earlier, Guy. It's like Lost was just so popular. It was just going to go on for however long. And they're like, well, we better keep coming up with storylines. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like these guys got cut off and they knew, you know, these are the things we want to do. These are the things we have to do. How do we make it all work together? And, yeah. and that was like their primary focus while always keeping true to the characters they had established and not just going off the rails you know, using people as props. Yeah, I think 12 Monkeys, there's a lot of um, science fiction stories that I like a lot, but I think I think the reason um, why it resonates and stays with me is because, um, you know, in addition to all of the really thought-provoking philosophical debates about um, the morality of choices, um, and we could go around and around on the clashing of point of view, and I felt like point of view was really um, wonderfully crafted, that you understood when characters were disagreeing why they were, um, and you could argue, as we did often on the podcast, either side um, of a debate. But 12 Monkeys, at the end of the day, I think is is a are multiple love stories entwined. Um, it's love stories of, of parents for children, um, romantic love stories, love story, uh, love stories of friendship and found family. And you have these huge stakes, obviously, of, of saving the world or literally time and the universe. But all of it is grounded in, in what people mean to one another and have come to mean to one another at the end of this journey of four seasons from Cole and Jennifer's friendship and Jennifer and Deacon and Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, for 10 seconds only, starting now. The the sort of mentor-mentee, ultimately grandmother-grandson relationship between Jones and Cole. And, and it is this beautifully woven series of love stories that are motivating these characters to do extraordinary things. Um, and I, I appreciated in sort of a landscape of, at least at the point that it came out, a lot of rather nihilistic stories that the writers of 12 Monkeys, I feel like were very clear-eyed about human nature and what motivates people to do both good and bad things, Um, but it's ultimately hopeful. Um, And so those are my, personally, my favorite kind of stories, those that can hold a mirror up to human nature but can also provide some inspiration to, to hopefully to do better um, and, tr- and try and do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. Yeah, because especially so many stories get to the point where it's like, okay, they're probably gonna save the world, but like, I don't care anymore. The world is terrible. These characters are terrible. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if they win, you know? And it's like 12 Monkeys always gave you someone to root for, even if it was different people at different times. Mm-hmm. I can also tell you as a writer that they did a masterful job 
Every spoiler episode. alert! Spoiler every alert! Episode. There's gonna be a so bunch of spoilers for the next two minutes. So take skip ahead two minutes when I say so. Skip ahead two minutes. You do not want to they listen did that to this episode. Even today, when I know everything, I've seen the now. show three times. If I see an episode, it'll still surprise me because it is it is built in a surprising way. Twist makes you think it go. It's this kind of story, but it's that kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is amazing. And I every- love the moments when, you know, or the episodes when it turns out that everything they did was just because they already did it, you know, and that's, that's, first of all, a twist for them. And it's also kind of, you know, it's, it's disheartening. And it's like, wow, do we even keep going? If we're everything we do is just, you know, we're just going in circles, you know, like Mm -hmm. the, the episode where they go to Berlin in 61. And it's like, oh, we're here for climb the steps, ring the bell, because Jennifer already painted that on here. This whole CIA report is because we already showed up. Like, you know the evidence that we're finding is the evidence that we left and mm-hmm. things like that are so hard but then when you have those small moments along the way like it's not it's just not always losses you have small mo- moments along the way where they prove they are changing things and you know sometimes that's for the better sometimes it's for the worse but i i also like that there are character shifts like ethan you know he's presented as just I mean, the witness all along is just this evil person who wants this horrible thing um, and is running a cult and it's all terrible. And it turns out like he was always a good man, just running from his own fate, you know, and then it brings back those questions of fate and free will. And then let's just be honest. Olivia is a kick ass villain. I mean, (laughs) like watching her origin story through her own eyes when she had no idea it was coming was was incredible and it's so easy to even while rooting against her sometimes you're like get that win girl you know because the whole time she was fighting against an establishment that held her down and people can relate to that even though you know she was in like constant opposition to our heroes she kind of had her own story going on and there there's a, a strange slant where she could be the hero of another narrative mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and just, you know, Guy, you had asked sort of at, at the beginning what um, what drew us or why we love science fiction stories. And um, I, I love I love historical stories as much as I do science fiction stories. And time travel is unique in that a single episode of television can give you both. Um, yeah. You can be in a post-apocalyptic future with this gorgeous time machine and blue light and traveling um through time but then you also can have a costume ball or a 1960s espionage thriller um in east germany or a western um and so it 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 is both something that's unique to the time travel genre but as i consume more and more time travel stories 12 Monkeys was just really ambitious um, in all of the different worlds it took you to, even within one episode, um, sometimes spanning almost a thousand years. So um, I, 
I really appreciate that. Um, and as I watch other time travel stories, you know, they'll they'll just be toggling back and forth, almost like the first season did, um, between the post-apocalyptic future or um, the present. And I just, looking back on it, given the budget that they had, it's just remarkable how many different time periods and, and really worlds mm -hmm. that they took us to on the journey. And they looked amazing um, and it looked real. Um, particularly in, man, season three and season four, it looked, the cinematography and the production values, I mean, it looked like a movie. Um, Deglaka looks like a movie. So, yeah. yeah. I, I love how they leaned into the episode types too. You know, yeah. they, they altered the cinematography and the music and stuff to kind of show what we would expect out of like the 70s episode. It looked like a movie that you would have watched in the 70s. And yeah. they kind of embraced they embrace like tropes in a good way and and use things that we were comfortable with and used to seeing especially with certain time periods and then just kind of flipped it on its head and went like you said guy in a totally different direction like it starts a certain way and you're like haha okay this is what they're doing and then you know they went a totally different way like one of my favorite contrasts from episode to episode is right between brothers and then like the heist episode. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. There's gonna be a spoiler for 15 seconds. Skip ahead 15 seconds, take your earbuds out of your phone for 15 seconds or just mute for 15 seconds starting now. Like, how do you do that? In another show, you would be like, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> you it's- just like, killed your best friend and now we're just like, having we're doing a leverage episode Seriously? yeah it's, it's br brothers brothers to um causality is like watching an episode of the sopranos and then watching an episode of leverage um back to back and it's the same show um and one episode you feel like you've been punched in the stomach and then the next episode you're laughing so hard that your stomach hurts um and it's remarkable that they were able to walk that um line uh, between so many different genres but also recognize that the audience sometimes needs an emotional break um because there's some very very you know 12 Monkeys can range from an 80s heist of an art auction right out, you know, from a, a, a father having to suffocate his son. The emotional gamut that we run in this show is, or, or a couple just trying to figure out if they need to kill their son to save the world, right? I mean, the... The journey they take us on and the tightrope they walk of of sort of the spectrum of human emotion is um, actually pretty incredible that they that they pulled it off um, because there's a lot of other stories, science fiction or fantasy where they don't give us those breathers and you can almost become numb um, to sort of the constant misery um, when you're bombarded with sort of the emotional consequences of of when the stakes are, you know, saving the world. Yeah, you could just lose hope that anything is ever going to turn around. You're just like, okay, well, mm -hmm. how are you going to flog me this week for for tuning in? Yeah. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. This is the last Fringe is one of my of favorite shows, show. and I've been beating myself this whole episode for not saying that first. <laughs> it is absolutely, like, one of my top shows, shows of all time. I just re I watched Fringe when Spoiler, spoiler, massive spoiler, mm -hmm. two minutes. Starting now.
And you know, the ending, the, 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 the end solution of 12 Monkeys is one of the most original endings to a time travel story uh, I've ever seen. You know, I love time travel stories. I see everything that's time travel. And you know, it has to be one thing or the other. Either you change history or you didn't change history. It mm-hmm. has to be, you know, it's, it's kind of as complicated as it is, it's, it doesn't have many ways out. And they found the third way out. Mm-hmm. And then I watched, and I thought, I've never seen that before. It's amazing. And then I watched Fringe again. And that solution is in Fringe. It is in the end. Super spoiler. Do not uh, listen if I'm putting a super spoiler alert. Uh, the, the last episode of season two, where Peter is wiped out from reality. That's season three, but yes. No, no, it's season two. They have two more seasons after that, I think. Yeah, and four and five. Okay, I, I don't know. I promise, <laughs> sorry, you can like cut all that, but I promise you, because I just deleted it no. because, or I just rewatched it too, because I was just thinking while you were talking that um, I think season four is like the least strong. And that's when he's been erased for about half the season. Yeah. Okay. I think that's how I remember it too, but I never mind. It doesn't matter. The way he was wiped out is the thing that happened. I think we, but we didn't really remember it. I think having watched it the first, at least I didn't. And I didn't, I didn't recall it when I saw that in 12 monkeys and in 12 monkeys, I think maybe they didn't remember it either. Um, yeah. There's actually so much in common between those two shows. Yeah. You can take the tent poles and pretty much stake out every single kind of twist that happened, but it's just different, if that makes sense. Like, they're completely different stories, but they do have this the same tent poles all the way through. Have you, by the way, speaking of amazing shows, we'll get back to the podcast. Have you seen Wonderfalls? No. Wonderfalls, one season. It was a while ago, it was, I think, the early 2000s. Amazing show. Made, watch it from in order. It's like 13 episodes, I think. Like they cut it in the middle or something. It's an amazing show. Uh, and Middleman, which is completely different. Uh, so you had the podcast. And how did you get all those? How, how, did, how did you get it out to people? Did you, how did people find out about it? Twitter. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure some people discovered us um you know just searching for 12 monkeys when on their podcast platforms but um i think at least in terms of our promotion uh, marketing such as such as it was i mean obviously we're just two fans um twitter was our primary um platform for for marketing episodes letting people know what guests were coming up people submitting questions um it was all on twitter Wow. Yeah, and that show, I mean, I think after people saw the end of season, you know, the, the series finale, it would just blew people away. And and there are tons of rewatch podcasts, okay, but not many of them lended themselves like this show lends itself. I mean, it is such a circle. So to be able to talk about the entire thing, you know, because t- people did podcasts all the way through it and that's fine. But to be able to sit there in the first episode and be like, look, we're all spoilers all the time. Please mm. go back and finish this show before you listen. 
because I mean, we would just make connections, you know, from season one to season four to season two and like all the way back of, of threads that went through it. And it was so cool to be able to pick out those things and, and kind of untangle those loops and figure out where they were going or why they planted a certain line or a certain scene early on so that they could call back to it. And it was just, I don't think I've ever seen a show that lends itself to a discussion on rewatch like 12 Monkeys does. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I know there's a lot of things to watch, um, but I think this is, this is a story that really kind of deserves a rewatch um, so that you can fully appreciate all of the layers of meaning, um, even to episodes that are in season one, um, that you just don't, you can't, you can't as an audience member appreciate all of sort of the, not only plot, but thematic layers. Um, And so, I mean, we were just, I felt like, I felt like Beep and I almost felt um, compelled um, to, to talk about it because, you know, there were a lot of great reviews out there um, and there were uh, um, great podcasts that were sort of the the like week to week speculating um, as it aired but we just felt compelled you know this was so wonderfully written and so rare um, that we needed to do it <laughs> um, and felt sort of compelled to do it that just talking about it amongst ourselves wasn't enough um, and so we just like, that's what this story deserved, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's also, it's so easy to forget things that have happened, you know, mm-hmm. along, mm-hmm. along 46, 47 episodes. And with the way sci-fi aired the last two seasons, you know, it was, it was like drinking from, drinking a, fire from a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was just wild. Um, but I, I can even think, yeah, right when I watched the end of the series finale, for whatever reason, I went back and just pushed play on the pilot. And just the simplest thing of of ending, you know, beginning, ending, whichever way you want to look at it, with that same monologue of mm-hmm. where are you right now? But it's so different and it's so, you know, it, it's told a complete story. And I I would have never remembered that that was what the show started with that it started with the monologue and it started with these arms of mine and then they wrap back around to it. I didn't remember it all until I pushed play and I was like, I just watched this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, our outlines for for this podcast would sometimes be like 20 pages long. Um, so the material was all there, you know, every rabbit hole you wanted to go down with a song reference or a literary reference um, or a historical event that they're playing with. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm 44. I've been watching um, these kinds of stories for a long time, and I feel like when it is done as well as Twelve Monkeys was done, it deserves to be celebrated. Um, and it was a show that you know is is a cult show, um, so I'm sure that also sort of drives the passion of of wanting to shout from the rooftops. People need to appreciate this um, because it's rare. Um, it's so cool too to see how many new people have been finding it, especially since like in the US it rolled over to Hulu and the whole thing is on there. Yeah. Um, and I know we have like ongoing jokes or there would be things on Twitter that's like, okay, after you guys watch 409, you need to post your tissue pile, you know, mm-hmm. post a picture. Because if you don't cry at the end of Mother, like I don't even, I'm not sure I can relate to you <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, that episode is not called Mother. Um, 
that's one minute more one minute more one yeah yep that'll do it yeah uh yeah at at the end of one minute more i i remember yeah our our friend amy started that of just like posting pictures of of your tissue piles when you were done with that episode yeah interesting and um so how have you have you seen your your uh um your numbers go over time like how what have you seen as far as uh, you mean our our for listeners i mean i don't think beep and i really track it um we never really paid attention to it we never paid attention to our numbers um (laughs) i think i mean i i think if we and and we're across so many different podcast platforms i don't even know i'm sure far more sophisticated podcasters than than we are can can figure out the aggregate numbers but um i mean i can like maybe casually once in a while i would see you know certain interviews um podcasts would do bigger numbers than others but mm-hmm. i can't i can't tell you i can't tell you what our numbers are or how we trended or <laughs> Yeah, any, we, any of we finished a while ago now, so I mean, I don't look at it at all anymore. Um, I think what it really came down to is these were conversations we were going to have anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then we basically just recorded them and people can listen to them if they want. Um, <laughs> and like she said, the interviews, you know, were, of, of course, big spikes uh, as far as looking at the difference. But I, it's been growing still and I still get notifications, you know, at the end of the week that's like, you had more downloads on such and such episode. And I'm like, seriously, people are, you know, but it's out there now and they can do it whenever they want. And it's so cool that, um, you know, cause a lot of people now find it because of like the Facebook addicts group or stuff like that. They find it after they watch the show, uh, newbies coming in and they're just like craving those conversations that they don't have with their own friends, you know, and so then they listen to it and they, they tell us, you know, like I, I you guys were saying everything I wanted to say. I was just yeah. like screaming back at you and you're like, you sound like my friends and there's nobody that I can get to like talk with me this long about it, you know? So basically they, they had all the same complaints that we did, which was really cool that we were able to kind of reach a listenership. Um, but you must have seen kind interaction of overlooked. Inside, you must have seen interaction inside the, uh, like w- with people on Twitter, or, you know? Yeah. I mean, responding to you. One of the fun, for me, one of the most fun things is when, particularly over the last 18 months with the pandemic, um, we're getting those messages on Twitter. You guys have been keeping me company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I found really moving, um, sort of these circles of, of a story moved us and then we would just be yelling about it um, or talking about it on the podcast. And then we, in turn, you know, just us talking with our friends about a story we love, then in turn kept somebody else company during what was a really hard time for everyone. Um, and so that, the, you know, getting those kinds of, of notifications and messages that people are still listening and that we can, um, even a conversation that we had two years ago can keep somebody company um, this week is really great. Yeah. And I mean, we just never cared about the the quantity of it. The I think the, the quality of the podcast itself and then the quality of responses that we've received, like, have been that it, it was worth it. Yeah, and how did you, you got some crazy interviews with, uh, I mean, not interviews or crazy, but interviews with people, you know, with the show and with people walking on the show. And how did you do that? 
Um, Terry Metalis. Um, not not us. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, honestly, maybe two episodes in, we got a message from Terry Metalis, the uh, co-creator and showrunner, that he was listening to our podcast, which was um, at first terrifying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and then also um, confusing because like I don't know how he found it but <laughs> yeah but um, and and then he it basically was he offered everyone and coordinate coordinated everyone um, wow. yeah it was really I mean and people it was not I mean we scheduled everything and and all of that but really the impetus for bringing guests onto the show um, really originally came from from Terry and and coordinating all of the people behind the scenes. Um, when we got to the end of the Rewatch podcast, Beep and I came up with the idea of doing sort of behind the splinters because we wanted to really celebrate the behind the scenes work of set design and props and costume design. Um, and so that we came up with sort of that pitch, but it was Terry um, who who supported that and reached out to everybody who he had worked with to make that happen. Yeah, I think the thing, like that was the thing about it being such a cult show. I mean, it never, you know, it, it received a lot of critical acclaim, but it did not receive like the viewership. And so I think what we found out was that everyone involved in this production loved making it as, as much as we loved watching it. And I think that is so rare. And so everybody was so game. I mean, of course, because he asked them and not us, but everybody was so game to be like, yes, I want to come on and talk about like that character journey. And yes, I want to talk about that episode and how fun it was to film. And, you know, even down to like the stunt guys. Um, I mean, Jeff Scavell, oh my goodness, like awesome guy, you know, and who would ever even, I mean, that was the thing too, is I felt like as much as, much as our original purpose was to like highlight a, fandom group that has a gap we also had the opportunity to highlight some of the people who make shows who do not often get you know much recognition or much to speak about and it was so cool hearing about you know these you see these uh things in the credits of like okay well what is an executive producer and what is a consulting whatever like i i mean we didn't come from television i don't know what that stuff means so it was really cool to attach some of like the credits to what jobs were actually performed and how they fit into the whole production that would not have been complete without them. Yeah. Especially like Stephen Barton and the music. I mean, yeah, you don't have this show without the music. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I, I think before we did this, I, I mean, it, it, this will sound obvious, but I, I feel like we, I came to the end of all of these conversations with just, a, a much deeper appreciation for the hundreds of artists working in their various crafts that come together to create these images with music and editing them together. Um, like the podcast we did on editing oh, wow. um, was incredible. And I don't, I, I hope this is true for the people who listened. I will never look at television the same way. I, I feel like I, now watch television with a much greater appreciation for the role that music plays, for the role that editing plays. I notice set design. Um, I, I notice 
um, the way costuming helps to create character um, and takes you on a character journey. And it's just it's just the clothes that a character's wearing. Um, and that was really, you know, all of these artists just giving their time to have conversations, um, you know, just basically out of the goodness of their hearts and their passion for, for what they created. Um, and, you know, I think for, I, I hope that when, if, if people are interested in pursuing a certain craft, they can learn something from it. Um, or even if they're just sort of fans like us that love to hear, I love to hear people who are good at their job geek out about what they do. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to listen to. It was such a scrappy production and everybody was just so proud to come on and, you know, kind of explain how they contributed to it, which was just, it was so cool for us. The crazy question. How, what was it like to end like, the show? To end the podcast? No. Um, emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I really, it's a story that it's one of my favorite stories of all time. And so getting to talk about it with really smart, really insightful, um, not only the, I mean, just to begin with, sort of the rewatch part of it, got a story that meant a lot to us. It was, you know, it was emotional. Um, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. And we got to talk about it the way we wanted to talk about stories, um, the way that I would um, in English class in college or in a dorm room afterwards or in a book club where we were doing everything from the themes to the characters we loved um, and that people wanted to listen um, and kind of join in. And then the people who created it wanted to join in on the conversation. I mean, really, I, I could not have imagined that when Beep and I recorded our first podcast. It was that was not a goal. It was not, never. I mean, we didn't even think about it. We thought maybe our twenty friends that we talked to on Twitter will listen, um, and then we ended up doing a panel at DragonCon about it. Like it was just really nothing we ever expected. I um, doubt it will ever happen again. Um, but it was really remarkable and meaningful, and um, I think that there's something about this sort of earnest emotion in this story that then seemed to also mirror real life, you know, that the people behind it cared um, and wanted to talk to fans, cared about what fans had to say, um, wanted to share their time to add deeper um, layers and meaning to it for fans to listen to. That is really rare. Um, so I think it's not only a rare story, I think it's really um, the people behind it. Um, I think we're really, it, it just seems to be a really special thing in their lives. And obviously it is for the audience. Um, and maybe that's why we ended up seeing what we did on screen. Um, so it was emotional. Um, and I miss, I miss a show. I miss, I haven't found a story that's made me feel that way on all levels, um, both my brain and my heart fully engaged really since. I hope I will, but. Yeah, I, I think that the the biggest 
you know, compliment we could ever receive was from Terry just saying the debates that you guys have on your podcast sound like our writer's room. And we had these conversations and we went through every one of these elements, you know, and just listening to you guys just sounds like we were there again. And, and that's so cool. Um, and I think that I'm really glad that we chose to do this and we, you know, we chose deliberately, but of course for the finale, we had some behind the scenes people and that was incredible to listen to them. But we also wanted to end as we started, you know, just with our little like ragtag crew. And so we did a two part finale with two of our excellent friends. Um, just, you know, getting back to the fangirl aspect of it. And I, we had to split it into two parts. I think it was like five or six hours. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad we did that. It was like such a cool, that was a cool ending for me because, uh, you know, a lot of the interviews, you just, you get the perspective of the people who were there, which is amazing, but we didn't always get to interject our, our behind the scenes thoughts on that. So I think that was, when it came down to the ending, I'm so glad that we chose to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just really fun too. We were very lucky that we, um, all people that we met on Twitter, um, and they ranged from um, English professors at universities to PhDs in chemical engineering, um, you, and they all brought their um, unique expertise, um, their love of other pop culture um, media and stories in. Um, and we just got to talk about a story we loved as fangirls would around, you know, uh, a table at a con. Um, and that people were actually interested to listen is probably one of the biggest surprises of my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, you know, it was it was a hell of a ride. That is really an amazing story of how you do something you love out of love, not looking for compensation or to be popular, to be famous. And it becomes something amazing because I think people feel it and people feel your intensity uh, for it. I have one question before we go. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm saying you said you wanted, in addition to everything, you wanted uh, a show that in which female fans talk, not just men talking, just women talking. And uh, were there any uh, way, like, did you feel women, in geek, geeks in the audience, uh, responding differently or responding to this, to this aspect of it? Um, I noticed, I mean, I don't, we didn't, I don't know what the, I mean, we certainly had male listeners that were engaging sure. with us. Um, but I, I, I think at least anecdotally, I noticed we had in terms of who was following our regular updates on Twitter, who was interacting with us on Twitter, who was sending comments in, it's a lot of women. Um, yeah. And now the subject matter as terms of what they were commenting on, they could be debating about what we debated about or, oh my God, you guys yelled about this scene the way that I did. Um, but I, at least anecdotally, I feel like a lot of our listeners were women. Um, at least that's who is now, like if I go on the Facebook page of Addicts of 12 Monkeys, there, I, 
apparently there were a lot of men listening to us too. Um, but in terms of pleasant surprise, yeah, that was a pleasant surprise now. And, and that might be, maybe comes from my own like bias because Mm -hmm. there unfortunately have been a lot of spaces where women experience gatekeeping. And so we're not, we weren't like that. We're not like, this is for women, you know, but it was actually really cool when, when some men would reach out to us or email us or do different things. And we were just like, wow, we didn't, we didn't know you guys were, were in our space and we love it. Like, come on in. Yeah. I mean, gatekeeping is my number one pet peeve um, when it comes to fandom and sci-fi fantasy fandom in particular. Um, And so our intention was always to be the opposite of that. Um, and, you know, so we we had uh, a fan in the UK that, that recorded, you know, an amazing, like, 15-minute breakdown of various um, scenarios of how the science of the time travel worked. And we had... Um, fans writing meta and sending us in about the love story. And I love that we got that varied response because that's, mm-hmm. that's all of those aspects of the story excited us about it. Um, and so, but, but I mean, I, I do, we were very proud that it was a space for female voices to talk about science fiction and that that was um, heard and that we got responses back. Um, and it was a really, kind of i mean i don't think we ever had a negative experience um not yeah, good. It's, not, it's not what i was asking about I, let me like, yeah make it sharper the thing i was asking for do you feel more female geeks were empowered uh to be geeks just to be just to be fans i i don't know if it's attributed to our i i wouldn't um, I wouldn't want to um, assume it was attributed to our podcast, uh-huh. but I have noticed that around, I think we were part of a larger conversation, at least on social media, where, and, and I personally went on a journey um, in social media spaces at the time we were going on the podcast of not being embarrassed about the things that excite me about a story anymore. So I think there was a time I personally as a fan felt like, for example, if I was discussing um, the 100 or 12 monkeys that like serious fans were talking about the science fiction part of it or the philosophical debates and quote unquote Mm -hmm. serious fans weren't talking about, for example, how excited they were about the romantic story. And I, and I, I, I did notice that the conversations around the podcast and around 12 monkeys were unapologetically as excited about all of it. Um, and if, 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 if our unapologetic fangirling helped further that, then that honestly would make me really, really happy, but I wouldn't want to presume that it did. Um, but I have noticed women pushing back a little bit more on that. Um, and just being more open about what they're excited about and basically not being embarrassed about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think we've always existed. We certainly didn't convert people. Yeah, we didn't sure. make fangirls. Um, but I do believe, just like Cece said, over over social media and and women kind of finding each other in those spaces, mm. that you know, if we're being rejected from other spaces, we're just creating our own. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Maybe uh, if if I, I hope that it created a space of 
listening to fans be excited about lots of different aspects of a story. Um, and <laughs> based on how loud we were yelling sometimes, being really excited about it um, opened up that, that um, you know, maybe I hope people feel a little bit more free. I can love a spaceship as much as I can love two characters making out. Um, all of those are in the story and I am not any more serious or less serious as a fan because what aspect of a story excites me more or less than another. Yeah. So I hope that what we were able to contribute to hopefully is just a little bit less feeling of alienation. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember how, how badly women were treated, uh, going to comic book stores and, uh, just uh, in the in, when I was in the states in the eighties and the nineties, you know, uh, it, it was it was not nice. Yeah, um, and I hope you know there were women that came on our podcast who have PhDs in literature and uh, masters in creative writing, and we got to listen to them really show their stuff when it comes to everything ranging from Frankenstein to Buffy to comics and and drawing those parallels to 12 Monkeys. And so I I loved just being able to sit back and listen to really smart women claim that yeah. space in science fiction. Um, so, but you know. It's not something that needs to be proven. It's obvious, you know. It's, yeah, it's, not to everyone, but I yeah. appreciate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you so much for talking to me. I learned so much, and I hope the listeners got to know uh, the podcast. And those who didn't listen, and skipped over the spoilers. I'm going to give like spoilers for 60 seconds or something like that. Um, I hope Fair. you listen to the show. Thank you so um, much for having us. It was so you. much fun. Yeah, we appreciate you reaching out. I don't yeah. know how you found us either, but yeah, how did I'm you find us? Of monkeys. I, I don't know. Of, uh, I also follow uh, Terry uh, on uh, on Twitter, so uh, maybe he retweeted something about you guys. But uh, I don't know I'm. I, I'm a fan of 12 Monkeys and I found you guys like a couple of times. So I'm just uh, listening and followed you. That's oh, really wow. cool. We appreciate That's so it. fun. Thank you so much to Beep and CC. I really do hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Geeking out was fun. The main place to find Beep and CC is the World of the Witnesses podcast. Do take a listen, but first see 12 Monkeys. Remember... Their podcast is full of spoilers. It assumes you've seen everything. Now, next time, because there are always more geeks, always more geeky things to explore. So next time, we'll move on from time travel to dinosaurs and robots and Mars. Oh, my. What do you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdominpowers.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-S-O-N. The website is geekdominpowers.com. On Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we're at geekdominpowers. Email me. Let me know what you think, please. Uh, and let me know also if you want your, uh, if you're okay with me reading your stuff, your email on the podcast. If you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, which is an experiment in epic fantasy, feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day. See you soon.